pray this morning, God, uh, we would stand in the power, we stand in your authority, we would stand, um, Father, in your presence, and, and we would do that, Father, um, focused in on you and, and you alone. Um, Father, this morning, we, as we look at, at, at your word, Father, as we have sung um, praises unto your name, um, I pray that you would just guide everything that we do this morning, um, from, yes, those things we have sung, to giving, to fellowship, Father, to this time now, um, God, as we need it, we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Amen. It's a little toasty in here. You turned it down. All right. Somebody turned it up because it started getting hot there, and I thought, whoo. Somebody's on fire. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. All right. If you have a Bible, turn to um, Acts chapter 9 as we continue to march um, through, through the book of Acts. And, and I tell you what, every time I, I, I approach a passage of Scripture here in Acts, one of the things um, that, I, that I'm finding um, is as I as I study God is, is doing a work within me because I'm I'm seeing things in passages um, not that I haven't seen before but things that are that are really just kind of leaping off the page and, and really just jumping into my heart and that happened several times this week as we uh, as I was reading through Acts chapter 9, specifically our text this morning, 21 through to 31, there, there's some things this morning I think will encourage us, uh, and I pray that encourages us um, to, to be more um, outgoing in our faith and, and our ongoing conversation with others um, about Christ and what Christ is doing. Matter of fact, just this week, um, in study, I come across several articles um, that I think were very, very encouraging to me, uh, and I think would be encouraging to, to you as well. One of the articles come from out of the IMB, uh, on the IMB's website, one of their articles come, come out about the, this small rural church in West Virginia uh, that was impacting the globe for Jesus Christ. Uh, they, were, they were sending teams. Uh, they were giving more money per capita than, than many other churches. And, and this small church of about 50 or 60, when the pastor got there, began to grow because of their vision for, for global missions. And it actually uh, encouraged people to, to get into the Word and, and have a passion for Jesus because they began to wonder, why were these men and women going to the nations and be willing to, to give up everything for uh, for the nations, and, and they begin to find out that there was something in common. There was a, a passion. There was something that developed within missionaries that drove them to, to the nations. Yes, it was a calling, but it was much more than that. And we're going to kind of look at that this morning. I think that can drive us to uh, the nations, but also to our neighbors. The second article I found in, uh, in, in churchleaders.com, and, it, and it's this. Believe it or not, that small and rural churches are impacting people for the gospel of Jesus Christ at actually a higher rate in, in, this, in the nation than, than mega churches are. Because per capita, they're actually giving more to missions and they're actually involved in their communities. If you begin to think about it, we're not really in a rural area, are we? 
but if you've ever been in a rural area, what you'll begin to realize is those rural churches actually have a massive impact on the community. They're still involved in the community. The people in the church are still involved in a community. And they're, they're, they know their neighbors. They know the person down the street. But when you begin to, to get into metropolitan areas and, and cities such as Chattanooga, what you begin to do is you begin to, to lose that connection, don't you? How many of us really know our neighbors really, really well? I mean, I know Mike and Ava next door really well, but outside of that, Miss Jackie across the street and some of the others, I don't know as well. I know who they are, but I don't know them like I know Mike and Ava. How many of us, when we go to the same place to eat or same gas station, we know the, the clerk? If you're in a small town, you go to the gas station, you know Joe, who's there every week, right? He, he works that schedule. You, you know him. And so what th- this idea is that there, there's a reason, too, is because when you get in these rural areas and, and, and you get into this kind of thing, what happens is, in all honesty, there's nothing else to do except to what? get into the word you don't have a distraction like you do in the city and so those those articles encourage me because uh, i think that there are there are there are things that can drive us to be more focused on jesus and and the gospel so why talk about all of that because i think in our text this morning what we're going to see is is a is a driver uh, that, that gave paul a passion to, to move from, from a zealot Judaism to a passionate missionary for Jesus Christ. And I think there's some things in common between his, his life in Judaism and his life in Christianity that, that are in common. And so that's where I want to kind of dive in this morning. I want to talk about two things, two primary things. One is preparation to share the gospel. And let me ask this question. How many of you actually feel you're prepared to share the gospel of Jesus Christ at any moment of your life? Anybody? Or are you prepared? Some yes, some no, right? Others will say yes, but when that moment comes, what happens? Panic. Absolute panic. And and what happens is, is we move from a gospel situation to to we have a spiritual conversation and and barna come out again with a new uh survey and i love barna and i'm doing again more diving into barna just kind of seeing what's going on in our culture and barna said something that 27 percent of all evangelicals are having at least 10 spiritual conversations a year but the problem is the spiritual conversations aren't gospel conversations often they're conversations about spirituality. Matter of fact, we can sit there and talk about Star Wars, and when we begin to talk about the Force, we're having what? We're actually having a spiritual conversation. We're having a conversation that involves pantheism, which is the, the worship of everything around us, that, that God is in this pew, in the wood of this pew, and God is within us. He's within the, the stars. We can have that kind of conversation, and that happens oftentimes. This morning, I want us to I want to ask an honest question. How many of you want to, to really be prepared, and not only be prepared, but to be active in proclaiming your faith 
day in and day out basis. How many want that? I think there's, a, I think there's a, in this text, I think there's a key, a couple of keys of how to do that. And so I want to encourage us this morning to say that when we look around week in and week out, that, that we as a body can be a major impact of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this community, in this city, and in the world. I believe that. And so here's where we're going this morning. First of all, preparation. Let's read our text. In, in Acts chapter 9, verses 20 uh, through um, 31. I'm going to read the last part of um, verse 19. So Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Then verse 20. Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in a synagogue. He, he is the son of God. All who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on his name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew strong and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him, but Saul learned of their plot. So they were taking, so they were watching the gate uh, day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. And when he had arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, since they did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them, uh, them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. That Saul was going and coming, or coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and it increased in its numbers. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Amen. So first thing I want us to think through this morning and talk about is this, this idea in, in verses uh, 20 through 22 is this idea of this fervent passion for Jesus. This, this fervent passion for Jesus. I'll never forget April 18th, 1994. It's the day that in Sunny Daisy Football Stadium that evening in a crusade that God, through His Holy Spirit, convicted me of my sins. And for the first time in my life, um, I believed fully that I needed Christ and I accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. I remember walking down those steps. I remember actually getting up um, from my seat in the football stadium and that first step was like the heaviest step I've ever taken but from that point on going down I almost felt like that, that, that somebody was guiding me. It was the moment that I, I come to faith. I went down and I talked to to a man named Joe Mondragon, who was, who was a member of our church at the time that I was attending. And, and, and at first I said, I need to rededicate my life to Christ because at um, around 8 or 9 in, in VBS, I thought I gave my life to Christ. 
uh, at, at a church, but in all reality, what I began to learn is I didn't give my life to Christ. What, what I did is I said a prayer, and, and, and on that moment when I took that first step of faith, Christ redeemed me. I didn't, I didn't have to say anything. It was I took the step of faith to be saved. And I'll never forget going back to school on April 19th, and I remember something different about me, and I began to share my, my newfound faith with my, with my friends. I, I began to quickly say, man, last night Jesus radically did something in my life. And I remember my friends looking at me and, and looking and saying, what did you do last night? Something's different. Well, I went to, to a, 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 an evangelistic conference thing for a crusade, and, and Jesus saved me. Well, they didn't understand. But I, I kept telling them, man, you, you need this Jesus. So much so that one of my close friends, I wrote him a note. Uh, that's something we did in high school then is wrote people notes. And so I wrote him a note. And I said, man, I want you to know what it looks means to be a believer in Jesus. And I wrote uh, the only verse that I really knew at that point, which was John 3.16. And I wrote it down. And I said, all I know, Scotty, is God loves you and God wants to save you. And right now, if you die, you're going to hell. I've known Scotty since kindergarten. Scotty and I have been in school all the way through and, and to this day, Praise the Lord, Scott. He's still a friend of mine. I don't get to see, and I don't see him often, but he is still a friend. <laughs> and um, there for a few days, I wasn't real sure. But as time went on, something changed. That, that fervent passion to share the gospel changed. I thought, you know, as I mature, that that I would learn how to share in a, in a deeper kind of more real passion. But what really happened is I think what happens to most of us. We begin to lack the faith of how to share and the passion to share. How many of you, when you first came to faith in Christ, you were ready to share with anybody? But today it's very different, is it not? I'll never forget, I've been through a number of, of evangelistic training sessions. I've been through faith and, and, and the Romans road and all kinds of ways to share the gospel. But what I have learned the last few years in my life is that it takes more than a training session to learn how to share the faith. It takes a fervent passion for Jesus Christ. So here's where I want to make an argument that... that where Jesus kind of stepped on me this week as I'm, as I'm, as I'm beginning and, and, and doing some things and trying to be more obedient in sharing my faith is this, that when I have a fervent passion for Jesus Christ, I will begin to proclaim the faith. And what has happened is I lost a fervent passion for Jesus Christ and for others that Paul didn't lose. The question is, why did Paul not lose it? Let's look at our text again. In verse 20, it says, Immediately, this is, uh, this is just a few days after his salvation experience on the Damascus Road. He had spent some time 
in Damascus with a believer, with the, the, those um, who were the church and who are the church, and, and he had spent some time with them, just a few days with them, and then all of a sudden on, on Saturday, on the Sabbath, uh, he begins to proclaim Jesus as the Son of God in the synagogue. A radical change within Paul's life. Remember, Paul had just come come from Jerusalem, a six-day walk into to, to Damascus, and he was coming not to, to go to the synagogues and say Jesus is the Son of God, but to go after the church, the way to bring them back to Jerusalem, to purify the synagogues, and to do that because he thought he was right in Judaism. But all of a sudden, as we remember back just a little bit before, uh, before this, that, that Jesus radically transformed Paul on, on that road to Damascus. Something changed. He saw Jesus as the Son, and he, and he said, Here, Lord, I, I'm listening. And he began to, to believe in Christ, and he came to faith in Christ. And his life was radically changed. And he spent a few days with the, with the apostles. Or not with the apostles, but with the, the, the church there in Damascus with the people. And I would say Paul was ready to go to the synagogue on Saturday. You see, Paul was one who was born the son of a Pharisee. We see that in Acts chapter 23, verse 6. He, he was a son of a Pharisee, which means that he had been trained Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 22, verse 23, or verse 3, we know that, that Gamil, one of the great teachers of the Old Testament, of the rabbinic law, was Paul's teacher. Think of it this way. Paul went to an Ivy League school in Jewish education. And not only did he go to the Ivy League school, but he sat with the smartest guy in the schools. So he's there with Gamil, and Gamil has walked with him in the Old Testament. He has taught him all of Judaism. When he come home at night, Paul was in a house of a Pharisee. Guess what? When Jet goes to church on Sunday morning, when he comes home Sunday afternoon, guess what he gets? He, we, we talk Jesus in our home. We may not, we, we, we may not talk it just like preaching, but we, we talk about Jesus. We, we pray. That's the way Paul's life was. He was the son of a pastor. Not only that, but he studied in the school that he studied. His teachers taught him to, to debate well, to, to begin to question whether the, the, the teacher was right or not, to begin to question the text, to begin to learn how to think. And I don't think we do that real well. Matter of fact, we, we get questions and we begin to what? Squash them or run them away when we get difficult questions, do we not? But Paul's school didn't teach that. They taught to think out loud and to, to question the teacher and say, do you really mean that? When I read in Isaiah here, this is what I see. Gabriel, do you, I don't understand why you see what you see. Paul began to question. And I think all of that training helped Paul begin to understand when the gospel opened up his life and opened up his eyes. When Paul then in his scroll pulled out Isaiah 52 and 53, 
he began to read it with new eyes and a new heart because of years of preparation helped him understand some things. And so when Paul walks into the synagogue on this Sabbath day, this Saturday, he walks into the synagogue and he begins to proclaim Jesus as the Son of God. Massive difference. Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? Do we believe that? Do we believe that salvation in Christ is the only way to heaven? Do we believe in the providence of God? What do I mean by providence? Big word. Here's what I mean. Do we believe that God is sovereign over all of creation? That before the foundation of creation, that God in the Trinity was there, that God in himself was being glorified within himself. He was fellowshipping with himself, but he also saw all of humanity, and he saw what was going to happen, and God has worked throughout humanity and is working throughout humanity to be glorified in his Son. Do we believe that? We should, because that's the Bible. So when we come to questions of, of, does the Bible, is it real? We can say with all confidence that Christ is real, and the Bible is real because we have been prepared in our hearts and in our minds. We have actually questioned the text. That's what I love about my Tuesday night college class I'm teaching. Not everybody down there believes what I believe. As a matter of fact, when I say something, they don't just say, oh, well, he's a pastor, he's been trained, we're good to go, he must be right. They question. Heather's in, in the class, and Gary and Teresa sits in there. There's some really odd statements that are made by people. And I'm open to that, and I'm good with that. Because I want them to question and to think. I want them to be able to, to formulate, this is what the Bible says. That was Paul. He understood it. And so when he walks in to the synagogue after being transformed and he says, Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the one, he is the Messiah, he is the one who comes to fulfill everything that we have read. And now I know that something changed with the hearts of the Jews. Something changed. And here's what changed. Look at verse 21. All who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on the name, this name, and came here for the purpose of taking them prisoners to the chief priests? Something happens when we have a fervent passion for Jesus Christ. Something happens when I show up on Sunday morning to, to our time of worship. We don't worship on Saturday. We worship on Sunday because that today is the day that Christ was, was raised. This is not the new Sabbath. The Sabbath is still Saturday. Jesus is our Sabbath. He is our rest. But in Christ, what we realize is this. 
when we come to church, when we walk in these doors, when we walk in life, do we walk with a fervent passion of Jesus Christ? When we talk, do people see that Jesus has radically transformed us? Because that's what they saw in Paul. I'm sure he walks in the doors of the synagogue with a new humility, a new thankfulness, a new understanding of worship, and he walks in with this confidence that Christ is good and glorious. And I don't know what text he opened up, but we know that he would have opened up a text of the Old Testament, and he began to read, and he said, this is Jesus. And I met him on the road to Damascus. And all of a sudden, people looked at him and said, uh, something's different about this guy. I thought he came here to arrest those who worship that man. He didn't come here to do that, I didn't think. Verse 22, it says, Paul, or Saul, grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. Paul had a fervent passion for Jesus because there was a preparation in his heart from years and years and years of studying the Old Testament for a personal knowledge level. And now, all of a sudden, Jesus takes that personal knowledge um, session and he turns it upside down on the Jewish people, and he corrects Paul's understanding of the Old Testament, and, and all of a sudden, the Jews are absolutely blown away. You know why? Because Paul stood with an authority, because he understood the text of the Bible. He understood the Old Testament, and all of a sudden, somebody comes and says, well, well, Paul, now this contradicts what you said. Paul says, no, it doesn't. In context, it means this. There are no contradictions in the Bible at all. Where there are contradictions, it's because we don't understand the Scriptures. And so when I begin to read the Word of God, what I begin to do is I read it with a fervent passion to know Jesus and to be see Jesus revealed in it. And Paul was doing that, and now all of a sudden Jesus is working in Paul's life. So let me bring it to application here. I think one of the things that we struggle with in the church in America, the church in Chattanooga, the church at White Oak, and the church here at the Access Campus is this. I think that, that there is a real um, need for a fervent passion for Jesus Christ. Can, can I just be honest? I think there's a real fervent passion for, that we need for Jesus Christ. I think many of us, including myself at times, comes to church because it's the right thing to do. There are others who, who, who come because of that passion. But one of the things I think needs to happen is we need to have a fervent passion for Jesus Christ. There needs to be a preparation of the gospel with inside of us. What does that mean? What does that look like? It doesn't mean that we sit for years and years and years 
on, on, on the side of the road or in our homes studying without proclaiming. Let me give you a context and, and a hint here. Between verses 22 and 23, most theologians believe is reference to Galatians chapter 1 where Paul went to Arabia to the desert for a couple of years to study, to be with Jesus. But that hadn't happened the time you get to verse 20. Verse 20 had just happened because he came to faith in Christ and all of a sudden he was passionate about Jesus and all of a sudden he begins to proclaim Jesus and he's doing this and then all of a sudden in verses 20, at verse 22, most theologians believe if you read in Galatians chapter 1 verse 17 and 18, Paul in there gives his testimony of going to the, to, to the desert of Arabia, which is not far from Damascus. He goes off into Arabia for how long, we don't know, probably a couple of years, because we do know that it was at least three years between Paul's conversion and his showing up in Jerusalem. We know at least three years. Could have been longer, but at least three years that, that he had been there. And so he was probably in the desert for a few years, and he was there alone with Jesus and his text and the Holy Spirit. He's there searching the scriptures. He's there meditating on all that he had been taught. How many of you have been in church for a good part of your life? Are you meditating on that? How many of you have been in the Word for a good part of your life? As you get alone with God in the Word, and when I say alone, I mean alone. And when I say in the Word, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm, I'm all about technology. But get you a good hard copy of the Bible. Start underlining and writing. Get you a notebook. Start taking notes. Asking questions of the text. When you come to difficult text, Jesus, did you really mean this? God, what did you mean by, you mean you want... You wanted the nation of Israel to destroy all the people of that 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 people group? You wanted all the, the Amorites dead? What? That doesn't seem graceful. Write that down. Question the text. God is big enough for us to question the text. Because here's the thing. When we begin to question the text, what we begin to do is we want to find the answer. And what we begin to realize is this. Yes, God wanted them all destroyed, but it wasn't because his grace wasn't good enough, and it wasn't because his grace hadn't been upon them, it's because they had rejected his grace. God of the Old Testament is not angry, and God of the New Testament is not happy. God of the Old Testament is holy, just, righteous, sovereign, gracious, merciful, loving, wrathful, justified. The God of the New Testament is all of those things as well, because it's the same God. Do we believe in the Trinity? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are all co-eternal. They are all equal. That they have been together before the foundation of the world. We begin to open up the scriptures. We begin to see those things. And, and as we, we begin to understand that, we have this fervent passion for Jesus. The more we get alone with Jesus. I believe what this text teaches us in in this just first point here is this idea is, is this 
that, that there needs to be a commitment, just as Saul made a commitment to, to grow in the Word, to dive into wor- the Word, to be trained in the Word, to ask questions of the Word. And then secondly, I think we need to, I think sometimes we need to go to the desert. Amen? We, we need to go to the desert. We need to get alone with God. How many of you have too busy of a schedule? In all honesty, we all need to raise our hands. Or at least most of us. I shouldn't say all. Maybe what we need to do is say, I'm too busy right now to do this quiet time, so I'm going to read two verses and be done. Maybe at that point we're too busy. Most of the Puritans made this statement in their life. They didn't have enough time in the day not to spend the first four hours listening to the Word of God. Did you hear that? The Puritans, who have a fervent passion for Jesus Christ, said this, I, we, <coughs> excuse me, we don't have enough time in the day not to spend the first four hours in the Word of God and in prayer. So you know what they did? Their first four hours, most of them would get up early, three, four o'clock in the morning. Jonathan Edwards, being one of the great pastors of um, the Great Awakening, spent his first four hours in the morning, starting at 4 a.m., in the Word of God and in prayer. He went to bed about 11 p.m. If I'm not mistaken, that's five hours of sleep, right? How many of you say, I cannot function on five hours of sleep? People shaking their heads. I, I, I don't have a problem. As long as I get five solid hours, I'm good to go. And I don't encourage everybody to get up at 4 a.m., but what I am saying is this. Maybe we go to bed a little bit earlier and get up an hour early and spend some time in the Word. We adjust our schedule for Jesus. Because here's what I've discovered. If I begin to adjust my schedule, my new schedule becomes just as good as my old schedule. When you have kids, guess what happens to your schedule? It gets adjusted, right? It gets adjusted. So maybe we need to adjust our schedules and, and, and spend our Arabian desert time in the morning. It's difficult at times for me to do that. But I, I do do that during the day. You know, as Christians, we just need to, to develop our time in the Word. Secondly, um, quickly this morning, is, is this. is There's this, um, this fearless commitment that Paul has to Jesus because he has a fervent, um, <coughs> excuse me, fervent passion for Jesus. There, there's this fearless commitment that Jesus that develops. Starting in verse 23, Paul comes back from the Arabian Desert. He comes back to Damascus. And, and, he, and after many days had passed, after a while had passed, um, the Jews conspired to kill him. And Paul come back more fervently passionate about Jesus because he'd spent time in the desert. Who else spent time in the desert with the Father? Jesus. You know, we often think of Jesus went to the desert for 40 days and we think to be tempted, right? But he was tempted only after what? The 40 days. It wasn't 40 days of temptation. 
It was 40 days with the Father. And so when temptation come, when Satan come, yes, he could have done this if it had been the first day. But Jesus was saying, being hungry in, in the flesh, thirsty in the flesh, tired in the flesh, he looks at the enemy and says, get away. And he begins to quote the word because he had been with the Father. How many of us fall into sin at the moment of physical and emotional weakness? Most all of us. Why? Because we're not in the Word, and I'm convinced. If I'm in the Word, you're in the Word, we're in the Word, I am convinced even in physical stress, we still glorify Jesus Christ. Because it's the Word that's within us. There's this fearless commitment that, that Paul has. And so, so he's, he, he, he begins to preach and he begins to teach and he begins to talk about Jesus. And all of a sudden, uh, the thing that he came to do, the thing that he came to, to, to do to, to, to bring death and, and destruction to, to the church now was coming to him. The Jews were plotting to kill him. They wanted him gone. They wanted Paul or Saul off the planet. He was wrecking their understanding and their life and they wanted he wanted them gone what did his friends do they 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 snuck him out a window he heard about it the church was still going to be fervent and it was still going to grow in damascus paul needed to go somewhere else so paul sneaks out a window friend helps him out the window of a of the wall and, 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 and he goes and he heads to jerusalem Think about it now. The church in Jerusalem has, has been without Paul for three plus years. That, that Paul is not ravaging the church in Jerusalem for, for that time. And all of a sudden, he shows up. Saul shows up. And all of a sudden, the disciple, he goes to the disciples. He goes to the church and says, Hey, I am one of you guys now. I want in. I'm ready to get in. And they do what? They, they reject him. Think about this. If we knew of a known murderer. He had murdered somebody we know, somebody this congregation knows. And all of a sudden he had been away, been in prison. His life changed. When he come to the front doors, what would we say? No way, right? You're not coming in here. Paul was this guy, right? He had stood there as one of their friends had been murdered, right? Stephen coming I want in I'm one of you guys now and he tried over and over when you read the text in the original language you, you realize this it was an ongoing thing there was this idea that, that Paul was going back and back and the church continued to reject him and finally all of a sudden he, show, he gets Barnabas the son of encouragement this guy who is an encourager he runs into Barnabas and Barnabas says Here's the story. Here's what's going on in Paul's life. And he says, man, I need to take you to Peter and, and, and John and those guys. Man, this is awesome. You've been transformed. And he takes Saul to, to Peter and James and John. And he says, man, Saul has been transformed. Saul's, Saul's a new guy. And the apostles probably question him. And then they rejoice at, at Paul's salvation and all of a sudden in the text it says this so there were um, verse 
starting in verse 26. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. And Saul was coming and going with, with them in Jerusalem and speaking boldly. In verse 28, what we see, and we really see this in the original text of understanding, is, is what's going on here is when Saul was coming and going, what that means is the apostles welcomed him in as one of them. So not only was he welcomed into the church, but he was welcomed now in as an apostle because he had saw the risen Jesus, and when it says he's going in and out, he's going in and out with the authority that the apostles had. In English, we don't really get that as much as we, we do in, in the Greek text. This idea that, that's going on here is in the Greek text, we get a little more idea of coming and going here has this authority. And this idea of speaking boldly has this authority that Paul had. And it says he conversed and debated the Hellenistic Jews to prove them wrong. He unpacked the scriptures. He was committed to Jesus with this fearlessness. And when they tried to kill him, the brother said, man, we got to get Paul out of here. Paul is, there's something special about this dude. We got to get him out of here. I believe that's the Holy Spirit leading them. And so they send him to Caesarea and then off to Tarsus, Tarsus, which is his hometown. And he spends some time there, significant time there. And while this is going on, when Paul's gone, all of a sudden it quietens down. And so the church throughout all of Judea, Galilee, Samaria, had peace and was strengthened. And living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased by numbers. Here's what I believe the text teaches us this morning. Two things. One it is we need a fervent passion for Jesus Christ. And in that, we, we are prepared and preparing our hearts to, to share the gospel every single day. And so when that moment comes, when we walk up, we are no longer timid. When that right question is asked or, or when the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and says, I want you to share with so-and-so, we do it with a fervent passion and with a fearless commitment to Christ that knowing that Jesus is good and Jesus is going to do the work. And when we do that, I believe what will happen is lives will be changed. But until that happens, I believe the church in America, the church in Chattanooga, the church at White Oak, and, and the church that gathers here at the Access Campus, we will continue to do what we're doing and we will do it until the day we die or the day Jesus closes the doors, and we will no longer make an impact of Christ, for Christ. As a matter of fact, I believe that's what's happening. I'm just going to get real honest this week. One of the things that, that God taught me in this text is if we don't make a change now, not, not tomorrow, now, will say my hand is off of you I no longer need you 
take you to our church history material, church history tips. Matter of fact, if you take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3, I can show you seven churches that Jesus built out of. It's not on this leadership, but it is on us to passionately take God's word. This is not just an access campus something we're fearful of. Same thing can happen to Citadel Baptist or Brainerd Baptist or whatever church you want to name. But that can change with us. Because I do not believe Jesus' hand was off. Because we have all seen the Spirit move here, right? Finney sends us and we have our time of commitment. Here's what I want to ask us, church. Are we willing to set aside time each day to spend with Jesus in a quiet place? Get you a Bible and a notebook. Are we willing to
I can't save you. The worst fear that I have as a pastor is this. When somebody says, man, that's the man who saved me. I didn't do anything to save me, but I hear it over and over. All I did was preach the word. The Holy Spirit saved me. And when I share the gospel, it's not my job to Christ.